Hello, Celebration Church, and greetings again from Costa Rica, where uh, we're getting ready to uh, hop on a plane and come home tomorrow. Be back to be, good to be back in Green Bay with all of you. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called The Significant Events of the Old Testament. And uh, last week, uh, we talked about uh, Isaac and uh, his marriage to Rebecca and that whole deal about the one and everything. If you missed it, go online and get it. So now we're getting to Jacob, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, the three major patriarchs of the Bible are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These three are the biggies. In fact, when God first appears to Moses and calls him to go to uh, Pharaoh and, and get the people free, uh, Moses didn't know who he was. And he says, who are you? And he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, these three guys, these are the, the three biggies. Now, Abraham, we know, is the uh, main patriarch, the father of uh, the Jewish nation, also of the uh, Arab nations. Both, it's very interesting, both Jews and Muslims trace their heritage all the way back to Abraham. <clears throat> We're talking two groups of people that don't like each other at all, <laughs> but yet they all come from the same father originally. It was really rather fascinating. Anyone who doubts the existence of Abraham should be pretty much at ease when they realize these two opposing groups both go back and trace to Abraham and what he did. Uh, one of the significant things that uh, Abraham did is he taught us about faith. Um, he was the one who believed God. Up to this point, people would respond to God. They'd obey God or disobey God, uh, you know, but that wasn't really the key. The key was to believe God uh, when he said something would happen that didn't seem it was possible, yet Abraham believed. And the Bible says it was credited to him as righteousness. Years later, thousands of years later, the Apostle Paul writes about the Christian faith that it's about this thing that Abraham did and not about following the Old Testament rules because these rules, the laws of Moses, don't come for another 650 years. If Abraham was made righteous by believing God, and that's what the Bible says, he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, then so are we when we put our faith in Christ. So it's not about the rules and regulations. At the end of the day, it's about faith. Not that there aren't basic rules and regulations of morality that we should follow. That's true. But it's not about, you know, what you touch, what you don't touch, what days you worship, what days you don't, when you can work, when you can't, all these crazy rules, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat. It's not about that. It's about faith in Christ, uh, trusting God by faith. Even though you can't see it, you believe it. That's what set Abraham apart. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Abraham introduces the uh, idea of circumcision. Um, this, uh, the two, only two religions in the world that practice circumcision from a religious standpoint are Jews and Muslims. Both do circumcision. It's a big deal for them because it goes back to Abraham. Uh, and uh, also, Abraham uh, introduces the uh, concept of tithing. Last time I talked on tithing, uh, I talked about this. He was the first one to start taking 10% of his income and giving it to God. All right, so here's Abraham. He is the great patriarch of the faith. He has a son named Isaac. We talked about Isaac last week, who marries Rebekah. 
now, the story of Isaac is really not all that dramatic. Uh, Abraham's story is really rather dramatic and what he did and how God told him to sacrifice Isaac and all the tests and trials that he went through and believed God no matter what, trusted that God would give him, uh, give Sarah a child even though she was 90 years old. Uh, all that faith that Abraham had and he becomes the father of faith. And so Abraham's really a major player. Uh, Jacob, which we'll get into next, is really a rather colorful character. And uh, he's the one whom God changes the, his name to Israel. That's where you get the children of Israel and the Israelites and the 12 tribes of Israel are all from Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now Isaac, you know, Abraham, it's a big deal. Uh, Jacob, really rather colorful, which we'll, we'll get into with him. Uh, but uh, uh, Isaac, it doesn't really say he does much of anything, uh, which in a way is kind of an encouraging thing because really the great thing he did is pass on his faith uh, that, this, that his father had taught him about to his children and to his grandchildren, uh, which can be encouraging. A lot of times people get discouraged because they think, you know, I'm not making a big difference. I'm not a big teacher, Bible teacher. I don't write books. I don't sing songs. I don't, you know, lead great efforts and stuff. You know, as a Christian, I'm, you know, what I do doesn't really seem all that significant. A lot of people struggle with this actually. When the truth of the matter is more people are like Isaac, who all he does, and it's not just an all, but it's very significant, what he does is he lives out his faith and he passes it on to his children and his grandchildren. That's why he's a major player today. Uh, so don't get discouraged if you don't think, gee, I'm not an Abraham or a Jacob. The truth of the matter is most people in the world, the majority of Christians have always been and always will be the Isaacs the ones who live out their faith and successfully pass their faith onto their children and to their grandchildren. The key word there, of course, is successfully. <laughs> the only way you can do that is but you really live it out and learn how to pass it on to them and, and watch it go as we affect greater generations. So never feel discouraged. You think, gee, I'm just a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or oh, we don't do that much. We just kind of do what we can and, and live out our lives. Okay, so you're like Isaac. That's all right. It's a wonderful thing. It's the Isaacs of the world, the Isaacs of the Bible, quite frankly, that continued the faith all through thousands of years until Jesus came. Uh, there were always the big, impressive guys, which we are discussing in this series about these significant events of the Bible. But always remember, the majority of people you never hear about. Uh, these are the Isaacs of life. Do not be discouraged. One of the most powerful things you can do is live out your faith successfully. And by successfully, I mean passing it on to your children and to your grandchildren. Okay, so that's Isaac. Then we get to Jacob. So this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one God calls Israel. He is quite the character. Uh, he gets his brother uh, Esau to sell him Esau's birthright, which we'll explain in just a minute. Um, uh, Jacob's the one who fathers 12 sons. We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> it's really rather entertaining and bizarre and just shows what a character Jacob was uh, and how, how he gets the 12 sons. We'll talk about that. Um, one of the big events in Jacob's life that uh, would be considered, almost everybody would consider a major significant event of the Old Testament is when he wrestles with God. We'll talk about that. Okay, so that's coming up. Uh, and then the other thing that he does is he deceives uh, his father, 
to steal the blessing from Esau to get it on himself. Jacob was quite the squirrel. And uh, I think a lot of people wouldn't like him <laughs> based on our standards today. But yet it was credited to him that he intensely did whatever he could to win at all costs uh, uh, and get blessed by God. Uh, and then uh, he continues to live out his faith. He's a major player in passing on the faith that he got from his father Isaac, his grandfather Abraham, um, and uh, he continues his song. He also continues the concept of tithing, which we'll see uh, probably in two weeks, maybe, as we get into this. Um, this idea of giving 10% of his money to God and how God incredibly blessed him, and uh, Jacob becomes crazy wealthy and successful in life because of those blessings. So we'll get to all that, but let's begin with the first part, which is uh, Esau, who uh, uh, sells his birthright to Jacob, this, this brother Jacob. We'll pick up the story at uh, Genesis, the 25th chapter, verse 21. Now, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, Rebekah, remember Rebekah, uh, because she was childless. And this went on for, I believe, a good 20 years or so. Uh, and the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? Now, they, you think they'd all jostle, but apparently it was rather intense. And all of it was really a sign of what was to come. Uh, and this is where you start getting into the concept of, uh, you know, predestination and stuff like that. A lot of Christians argue about that from one extreme to the other. Uh, I'm of the opinion that the bulk of all of this is simply human choice, but in the midst of all this choice, God has some very specific people that he's called to very specific reasons uh, to show forth his plan. And certainly, this is what happens with Jacob and Esau. So she goes to the Lord. She's kind of freaked out, praying about it. What, what is happening inside of me? Because these two are going at it. They go at it all their lives. And it starts in the womb. They don't like each other in the womb. They're kicking and pulling against each other. And uh, she's kind of freaking out. So she inquires of the Lord. And the Lord says to her, well, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. So we have the prophecy already. Why is this significant? Because biblically speaking, and this is tradition for thousands of years up until barely 100 years ago, all the rights would go to the oldest son. Uh, it's the bulk of human history has been this way. But now God says, in this case, it's the younger one who's going to be the one who is in charge, and the older one will serve the younger one. Really a radical departure. So anyway, when it gives time for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, these two guys wrestling it out. Uh, the first came out, he was... Red, the Bible says. So he's very red-colored in his skin. His whole body was like a hairy garment. So he's this hairy little red creature. Must have looked quite horrendous, I would think. Uh, <laughs> not to freak out all the moms out there, but most babies right out of the oven don't look very good. <laughs> Everybody says, oh, that's so beautiful. Really? I look at it, I go, ew, ew. They all haven't seen one. There's very rarely that you'll get one right out of the room that actually looks attractive. It takes a few days, if not a few weeks, before they start shaking uh, <laughs> the previous domain into this life, and then they start taking on their own look. Anyway, so this kid's really base. He's born really weird looking. 
He's red right out of the room and hairy. Uh, so they give him the name Esau, which means hairy. So, you know. Anyway, uh, after this, then the brother comes out, who's Jacob. And he comes out and his hand is grasping Esau's heel. <laughs> so these two are added in the womb. And on the way out, Esau comes first. And even Jacob, at that point, is grabbing onto the brother's heel, still competing with the brother. And he comes out, so here come the twins, and the one is still hanging on to the other one. Really rather interesting. So they called him Jacob, which literally means to grab the heel. So, uh, and it eventually becomes a, a Hebrew uh, idiom for deceiver. If you want to call someone a, a rascal or something like that, you'd use the word Jacob, because Jacob turns out to be this really big rascal. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll look at this. So anyway, Isaac at this point is 60 years old when Rebekah gives birth to them. Well, the boys grow up, and Esau becomes a skillful hunter. He's the manly man. He's the man's man. He's a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. He's the mama's boy, literally the mama's boy. We read in the next verse that Isaac, the dad, uh, who had a taste for a wild game, loved Esau, Esau was the manly man. He went out and he fought. He was a hunter and he killed things. And, and that just really resonated with Pops. So Pops favored uh, Esau over uh, Jacob. But Rebecca, Mama, favored Jacob. So he, Jacob is literally a mama's boy. And he's a little bit of a girly man because he stays back and he's, he just hangs around the house and helps with stuff that, you know, normally, for a minute, in a second, we're going to see that he's cooking. Not something you'd normally see, but this is Jacob's life. Now, in all uh, respect to Jacob, he eventually becomes quite the leader, and he's, you know, becomes quite the manly man. But at this point, you know, his brother is the big, you know, deer slayer, and he stays back at home. So, the story goes on. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, so Jacob's back there cooking. Uh, Esau, the manly man, and he's the number one son, right? He's got dad's favor, pop likes him best, and legally he has the rights to everything as the older son, all right? This is the, uh, you know, the coveted position. So Esau comes in from the open country, and he's famished, and he barks over to Jacob, hey, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished, and Parenthetically, this is where the Bible says that's why uh, Esau is also called Edom, which means red. So Esau meaning hairy, Edom meaning red, referring to this moment when he so desperately wants the lentil red stew. So he says, hey, give me some of that food. And Jacob, the rascal, <laughs> says, to him, first sell me your birthright. And Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? He's so hungry. And Jacob says, swear to me first. So Esau swears an oath to Jacob, selling his birthright to Jacob. You can have the number one son birthright. They're twins, remember, but the one came out a couple of seconds in front of the other one, so he's the one who's got us all the rights. But he says it to his brother, so Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. 
So Esau, the Bible says, despised his birthright. All right, take a look at this. So um, the biblical criticism now is always on Esau for doing this, which is very different than we are in Western culture today. In Western culture today, we would have criticized Jacob for being a rascal and bringing this on. Uh, we live in a culture today that overwhelmingly the idea of personal responsibility is fairly rare. Okay, it's never anybody's fault. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. They did it. Somebody did it. We see this uh, almost in every area of life today, even from the recent election. And, and I don't care. This isn't a left-right thing, whatever your position is. I don't care. But in the last election, when uh, uh, John Podesta, who worked for the Democratic Party, his emails were hacked. Now, you would think hacking would be you know, like somebody came in the back way and broke into the system and, you know, but that, that's not what happened, okay? They used these words for dramatic purposes, okay? Um, what it was, was Podesta got an email and said, say, your account needs updating. Uh, please give us your, all your information and your passwords and stuff like that. And he, being an idiot, sends it to him, okay? And then they just waltz into his files is what happens. Here's an example. It's one thing to say, gee, my house got broken into and I was robbed. It's another to say, some stranger walked up to me, said, hey, can I have the keys to your house? And you go, sure, you can have the keys to my house. And you give him the keys to your house. And he goes in the broad daylight, opens the house, goes in, takes whatever he wants and leaves. And then later he said, I got broken into, I got broken. Oh, well, okay, I guess you were broken into, but... You're a nimrod, don't do it. And by the way, people, when you get emails like that, don't respond to them. Some accounts, oh, you know, and they look official, you know, like from American Express or whatever uh, card that you carry and say, we need to update your files, we need you to email us your you know, contact number, your social security number. It looks so legit, but don't do it. If you have any questions, call the company and ask them. Don't be a nimrod, all right, a dummy. So many people just fill out the thing, oh yeah, okay, this is my password, and then later someone steals all their money and they're shocked. Oh, I was, I was, sorry about that, <laughs> hitting the mic. I, I was broken into, well, yeah, you were tricked and you're kind of a dummy is really what happened. I mean, it doesn't make it right. It's just, you know, it's like, so anyway, the emphasis is always on, you know, who did it. So instead, of, so in Podesta's emails, that's when they found out all the terrible things he said the Democratic Party and all the nasty stuff that was going on. But the media, did they focus on what the nasty things were? No, not at all. They focused, did they focus on the fact that Podesta was an idiot, just giving this information out so someone could break into it? No, no, the whole emphasis has been, who broke in, who broke in? Was it the Russians? Who's the Russians who hacked it? First of all, there was no hacking. The guy just gave him the keys to the door, all right? And secondly, how come you don't focus on what he said? Because in this country, we don't care anymore about personal responsibility. It's not about what me, it's what somebody else did. It's everybody else's fault. I'm not responsible. It's the government's fault. It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. I messed up because of that other guy. Just, people don't want to take personal responsibility. But the Bible, in this situation, even though uh, Jacob was being the rascal that most of us are, well, what are you, what are you doing that to your brother for? Uh, the slam was on Esau because he must take responsibility. And he did not respect his birthright. So he sells it off for a bunch of beans. Uh, and it costs him dearly in the end, in a massive way, because now uh, Jacob continues on, and he winds up becoming 
gets all the blessings and status of the firstborn son. That's why it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Esau is knocked out of the picture at this point because he despises uh, his, his uh, birthright. And the Bible challenges us and warns us about this. In uh, Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, see that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Godless, why are you saying that? Because look what Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. For beans, for beans. Man, and here's the thing, as Christians, especially the younger of a Christian you are, and I hope all the young people are paying attention, all right? You're going to go through a lot of temptations. We all go through temptations and stuff. The temptation is give up your faith for this wonderful bowl of beans. Look at it sparkle. Look at it shine. Ooh. And then people sell out their faith for stupid things. And it's not inconsequential that in Hebrews it ties it to sexual immorality. Talk about something that ends up being a bowl of beans. One of the greatest temptations for human beings is sexual temptation. Overwhelmingly for men, but also for women. Uh, now, if you're a man who, a, a guy that's not a big deal to, or a woman that's not a big, big deal to, well, good for you. But most, it's a big stinking deal, and it's always the big temptation. And it's always the big shiny bowl of beans. Ooh, it's going to be so wonderful. And most people who get involved in sexual immorality will tell you that it always ends up being a lousy bowl of beans. It, the, the payout is never the same as the promise. That's why I encourage the young people. I said this a, a few months ago. You know, I know one of the big deals on, in movies and stuff that you guys watch today is, you know, ooh, losing your virginity. Oh, it's so wonderful. Oh, the most amazing moment of your life. And it's a lie. You talk about a bowl of beans. Man, your first experience is more likely going to be embarrassing and awkward than some glorious experience. That's what the honeymoon is for. It takes a while to get the hang of it. In Jewish teaching, they told that if a man takes a wife, he's not supposed to start any major thing, not start any new business, and he's supposed to be exempt from military service so he can have a whole year to, and I quote, pleasure his wife. They gave him a whole year to figure it out. So sex is wonderful. It's a great thing. We celebrate it in this church. We all encourage our young people to look for it, but just do it in the right way. Don't sell out your faith for a bowl of beans. Oh, it's going to be so great. It's not so great. Okay? Especially in that context. Uh, you do it outside the biblical context of a committed relationship and marriage. All of these things, whether it's sexual immorality or cheating or lying or stealing or whatever it is for that moment, that one moment, this big shiny bowl of beans comes at you. Uh, always remember, hey, it's just a bowl of beans. Don't sell out your faith. So the analogy that the New Testament makes of the Old Testament is watch your faith. Don't sell out. Don't sell out for beans. And oh, oh, it looks so pretty. Again, they, you know, it's like these McDonald's commercials that they make. The food looks so great on TV. You notice when you hold them, they, it never looks, never looks like that. So it's really impressive. Or the Hardee's commercial, food, it's any food commercial. Like, woo, it sparkles and it's glorious and the right, you know, steam coming off it and the right moisture and the reflection in the lights. Yeah. Then you get it's like, what, what, the, what the heck is this? It's not like what we see uh, in the TV. Or a lot of times you'll do that. You'll order food based on the picture on the menu. <laughs> it looks great on the menu. And then when you get it, first thought I get is, man, I don't look anything like, like the picture of the menu. Well, that's 
That's what sin does. Sin comes and is always presented as absolutely glorious. And in the end, it's never quite worth it. It's pretty much a big bowl of beans. And what the Bible encourages us, don't be like Esau. Don't sell out. The temptation is always to sell out because the beans look fabulous. Oh, yeah, if you just be with that other person's wife instead of your own wife, oh, how glorious it will be. But I'm telling you, you talk about a bowl of rotten beans. It's, it's, you'll be throwing them up after this. It's not worth it. It's never worth it. You need to start to learn as a Christian discipline in your life to look at your temptations as a bowl of beans. We're all tempted in various ways. And when it comes at you, you just got to remember, it's just a bowl of beans. All right? Don't, don't sell out uh, for stuff that doesn't really matter. Okay? So that's really the challenge. Now, when we get back... Uh, uh, let me throw this verse at you. We'll wrap it up with this, on this idea of the bowl of beans. Jesus said in Matthew, the 11th chapter, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. That sounds a very weird thing. Jesus is talking about you know, the kingdom of heaven and the people who get in are these violent people. Well, for most of us today, violence is equated with evil and destruction. But that's not the context of the word violent that he's using. It's talking about intense power. It's like when there's a violent earthquake, okay, something that's very powerful. It's that kind of power that is going to stay focused on their faith and not pull away to beans, okay? Uh, the uh, Amplified Bible, which really brings out the verses, says that it's a share in the heavenly kingdom that is sought with the most ardent zeal and intense exertion. At some point in your faith, you can't just be casual about your faith if you're going to succeed at this, all right? You have to be intense. You have to be intentional. Seek after God. I'm going to serve God. If you're the kind of person I go to church once in a while and stuff like that, I'm telling you, you're not going to get this. At some point, you have to get this intentionality, this intenseness about following God, doing no matter what, and intentionally staying away from the beans and focus on the real prize, which is the blessings of God in your life. Anyway, we'll pick up more about this when we get together next week, when we're back in the flesh in Green Bay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you for the wonderful blessings that come through Christ into our lives by faith. And Lord, help us not to be like Esau, selling out our faith and what's really important for stuff that just ends up being a bowl of beans. Help us to be intentional about our faith, even to the degree of a violent force that we're going to follow you, we're going to serve you no matter what, because we know that in that comes great, great blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.